Amen. I'm stalling because I want them to keep going. I mean, that's so good. Thank you, Tommy, for being with us, brother. Man, what a privilege to have you. We have a good team, don't we? Praise God for their hearts of worship. Just love them so much. Thank you guys for leading us so faithfully every single week. Hey, good morning. So glad you're with us this morning at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's a joy to see you with us. We're so glad you're here. And many of our people are distancing in a way at home and watching from back home. And so we don't say welcome to you. We love you. We miss you. We're praying for you. Hopefully we get to see you maybe next week. Excited about our uh, outdoor service. Everybody's looking at the weather, right, for next week. What's the temperature going to be? What's the weather going to be like? But I'm just trusting that it's going to be a beautiful day. And I hope that it will be. Uh, and we're going to have food. It's just going to be a wonderful time. And of course, the food will be individually wrapped. It'll be a great place to distance outside and yet worship, make some noise in our community. And I'm excited about that. I heard uh, a pastor this week, Pastor Skip Herzig, say something. He told a story about uh, a church that was dying. And the sad reality is there are six to 10,000 churches that close their doors every year. Isn't that a horrible statistic? It's awful. But it's true, churches are dying. Uh, he tells the story of a, of a church that was dying, and the pastor, a new pastor came in and took the church over and wanted to see something amazing happen in the church. So he started a new sermon series. He started visiting with people and, and casting vision and doing everything he knew to do to try and see if it could get the church going again. People didn't seem interested. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a sad situation, and, and over time, fewer and fewer people were connected to the church and to one another. So the pastor decided, okay, this is a dead church. And so when you have a death, you have a funeral. So he decided he was going to have a funeral for the church. So he let all the people who had been a part of the church know, hey, there's going to be a funeral for our church. We hope you'll come and pay your respects to the church. And everybody's like, okay, I guess we'll do that, you know. He tells the news outlets, he tells the community, and sure enough, they have a funeral. And up front... Just in front of his pulpit is a casket. And he speaks a message. And at the end of his message, he says, now's the time in a funeral where we want to pay respects and uh, give you a chance to say goodbye to the church. And so they open the casket and everybody's going, what's in the casket, right? What could be in the casket? And he said, by the way, when you come down and everybody, I'd I'd like everybody to to funnel past the casket because inside the casket will tell you the reason why the church is dying and why we're having a funeral today. So everybody's kind of looking at each other, and slowly, as they do, they get up in sections and come across the the front of the church, and they look in the casket. People begin to hold their mouth like this, and they begin to weep, and they begin to, what's in the casket, right? And people are funneling past and going through. What was in the casket was a mirror, and so when you came in front of that casket, the mirror was placed in such a way that you saw your own face. And they were beginning to understand that the church is not just a job of a pastor. It's not just the job of elders. It's not just the job of an amazing worship team or location or social media marketing. The church is a group of people. That the growth and the spiritual maturity of the church is up to the people. It's up to the saints, according to God's word. And when they saw their faces in the mirror, they began to weep because they began to realize, did I cause this? See, we're all responsible for God's church. It's not a building. Church is what? It's a people. Church is a people. This series we're in called Church Defined, we've been trying to take a look at the values that we see in this beautiful Amazing community in Acts chapter 2. This is right after Pentecost, right after 3,000 people are saved, and we see this this description of a church that that every one of us will go, man, I want to be in that church. Like, where do I find that church? And so as we, we look at that and we get excited about what that church represents, we go, how do we become that church? What are the values we see in that church that we can have in us as a people, as a church? And so we've started to study through those values, if you will. And I believe if we have those same values in our lives, God will do something that will blow our minds 
in our church, in our own lives, in our community, in our city. I want to show you these very quickly. These are values that we've pulled out of this text in Acts 2. They were devoted to God's word, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to one another, sharing life together through fellowship. They were devoted to communion or breaking bread or the Lord's Supper, which is really remembering the gospel of Jesus. He told us to remember. They were devoted to prayer, connecting to God and connecting to one another, to the Lord for one another. Very important as a value. They lived in mystery, right? The text tells us that they were, they were everyone there was a sense of awe and wonder because they experienced God's presence and his power. And when you experience God's presence, we should be in awe. We should be taken aback like, oh my goodness, Lord, how amazing you are. They, they had unity. The text says the believers were together. Last week we ended with this idea of uh, sacrificial generosity, which really is just a, an intensive sensitivity to one another. They were so sensitive to the, to the body of Christ, to people in need, that if there was a need in the church, they did something about it. Well, if I have to do something in my life to sell something in my life to help that person, they would do that. It was voluntary. It wasn't uh, communism. It was something they chose to do. Acts 4 tells us this, this beautiful church said they didn't have one person in need because they loved so well. They were so sacrificially generous. Today we're going to learn about three other values that we see in this church. We're going to see that they were connected they were faithful, and they were grateful. Three things that I hope that we can continue to add to our list of who God wants us to be. Turn in your Bible, if you will. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And uh, let's read our text that we've been going through for a few weeks. We will finish up our series next week as we look at the final verse, verse 47, outside. But let's look at this uh, text together. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Here's our verse today we're going to look at, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, how good you are. Lord, I, I just had a smile on my face all morning because of the, the beauty that we've experienced in music and fellowship already. Just the connectedness that we feel as a family. God, how good it is to be together in your house with your people. But Lord, we want to take some time to really dig into your word. And we really want to be the church, God, that you want us to be. We don't want to define that. We all bring our opinions, God. We all think we understand maybe what the church ought to be, but it's not about our opinions. It's about your word. And so, God, I pray that you would draw us to that word and help us to be obedient to what you uh, have called the church and how you have defined this beautiful family. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would lead us to all truth today. God, help me not to get in the way. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase in this time and that you would uh, be so present that you would help us, God, to be obedient to whatever it is you lead us to. We pray these things in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about sacrificial generosity. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Nothing connects people together more than feeling like somebody's sacrificed for you. Have you ever felt that? There were times when we've moved and people are lifting heavy stuff and I'm going, ah, no, don't do that. It makes me nervous. But I'm going, man, I'm so thankful that you were willing to do that. I, I'm, I'm felt connected to people. Uh, there's a friend of mine you guys know. Um, he's a part of our church kind of remotely. Uh, his name is Jamie George. He's a professional violin artist worship artist, and he goes around the world, plays the violin. He's an amazing uh, player, world-class violinist. But the thing about Jamie that you might not know if you don't spend some time with him is how giving he is. 
how kind he is. We went to Cuba about, uh, what, a year and a half or so ago uh, with Pastor Jerry and myself and, and uh, Jamie. He invited us. He took us. And uh, that all alone was, was incredibly kind and giving. But while we were there, you know, I, I don't have a great back. I have kind of a bad back. At the end of our trip, we'd been sleeping in different interesting situations. And uh, we were leaving, and um, we were getting on the, the plane to, to leave. And it's not a long flight from Cuba, but I'm, I'm, I'm going back, and I'm looking for my seat. And the lady says, you're right here. And I'm like, no, this is first class. I'm, I'm not supposed to be in first class. I'm in coach. And she's like, no, that's your, your ticket is right here. And uh, I knew what had happened, right? I sat down, and I, I'm looking for Jamie, because he always flies first class because he's got a million miles, right? So he always upgrades to first class. He's not in first class. He's in my seat in coach. And I'm just shaking my head, and I'm looking back there, and he's like, you know. He loves it. It feels so good to give in that way. This past Sunday, my wife and family had a, the privilege of, of spending lunch with the kids, and um, it was an amazing, amazing time together. But as we're visiting in the afternoon, uh, Lori gets this look on her face as she's looking towards the window or whatever, and Jamie walks in the door. Nobody had a clue that he would be anywhere near. And the truth is, he wasn't anywhere near. He had been in Springfield, Illinois, which is a five or six hour, you know, trip. <laughs> and he decided he would drive five or six hours so he could see this precious couple for 30 minutes. And then he was going to drive three hours to get on a plane to go home. Nine to ten hours out of his way to spend 30. Now listen, they're worth it, trust me. They're worth it. He didn't even eat anything. But um, yeah, but they're worth it. But the thing is, is you just see this heart. He wanted to be with these people that he loved. He is one of the kindest and most generous people in the world. As people sacrifice for you, you feel connected to them. I think there was something beautiful in this community because sacrifice was taking place and they felt connected together. Three things we're going to talk about today. Connectedness, faithfulness, and gratefulness. We use this phrase all the time that we walk life together. We want to be a church that, that walks life together. That we, it's life upon life. We use these kind of phrases all the time. But there's no doubt when you look in Acts 2, that's what these people were doing, right? That's what the text says. Look at our text again this morning. And day by day, attending the temple, every day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day. Let me ask this question. Besides your family, who do you see every day? Maybe somebody at work, that's most days, but maybe not every day. Maybe your neighbors. There's not very many people in my life that I see every single day besides my family. And you won't, apart from intentionality, apart from making that happen. Then I started thinking, you know what, as the church, how many things do we even do for Christ every day? Much less seeing people. Are you connected to the Lord every day? Do you think about God every day? Do you read the word of God every day? Do you pray every day? Do you encourage somebody every day? I think so many brothers and sisters uh, associate Sunday. Like this is the main day. It's Sunday. That's all we really need to worry about. In fact, that's what my wife and I used to think. We used to be Sunday Christians. Grew up being, for the most part, Sunday Christians. I didn't know really what it meant to walk life with people, believers, day after day after day. What, what did that mean to be in that kind of relationship every single day? Well, as long as you go to church on Sunday, we're good, right? It's the American way. That's what we thought. Until I, you know, I was a worship leader for a long time, and, and I was uh, auditioning and, and um, interviewing for a position at a church down in Houston, in Kingwood, actually, just north of Houston. And uh, they said, hey, we'd love for you to come and be our worship leader, but we want you to be a part of us. We don't want you just to be a hired gun that comes in every uh, weekend and we see you leading worship, but we never see you otherwise. We want you to be a part of our church. And I had just been sort of the Sunday guy going, oh, okay. But I decided I would take the position and by taking the position, come under their authority and, and start going to what they called cell groups. And so we started going to cell groups and at first we were complaining we, we thought we, we knew what was best. We didn't like the fact that the age groups were all over the map. Why can't we just be with other 25-year-olds, right? There's so much wisdom in all our 25-year-old lives that we could share with one another. 
We, we knew exactly how to do church, right? And the, I remember asking the pastor that question, why not do affinity and age group? And he was like, you'll be good. He didn't even answer me. He was so kind and gracious. And what's so cool is over time I began to realize the beauty of the church. I'd never seen the beauty of the church because the church was always Sunday. It's what I can get, whatever I can glean from Sunday. Was it a good message? Okay, maybe that'll help me. Maybe I'll think about it some during the week. Was it good music? Maybe I had a moment of transcendence where I could just worship God. Yeah. No, it was more than that. All of a sudden we begin to see the beauty in people, people that we weren't like, people that we might not normally hang out with, people that we learn to love and serve it was the church. See, we wanted church on our terms, our definition, the way we felt best about it. But as I prayed a minute ago, it doesn't matter what we think, friends. It doesn't matter that we can bring our opinions about church. Right? God has given us his opinion. Another opinion doesn't matter. It's his word. So let's look deeply. What does the word say about church? What does the word say about Christians who live in relationship to other believers called the church? I can't tell you how grateful I am for that church. I'm so grateful that they forced us literally into community because it changed our understanding of what the church really is. It changed our understanding of what God's design for the Christian is. I was asking my wife, I said, hey, what are the things that we learned in a church, a connected, real ch connected church experience? Because I want you to know, ever since then, that was about 1998, we got involved in that church. Ever since then, God has ruined us for the church. Ever since then. We've never wanted to go back into a Sunday-only experience where we didn't really know people. We didn't really share stories. We, we didn't really walk life authentically with other people. We haven't done it since. I said, Lori, what are, what are the things that we've learned? We started asking questions and, and here's some things we came up with. We learned that we really do need each other. When you lose a job, when you lose a child, when you lose a loved one, when you feel like you're going crazy at times, when you have unbelievable needs, all of a sudden you realize, I need people in my life. We see it a lot in the church, especially when someone passes and the family goes, um, we need the church, right? We see it a lot in the church when somebody wants to get married. We need the church. It's more than those things. You need people in your life every single day, every single week. It's very natural when you're walking life with one another in the, in the body of Christ when you have that need and somebody's like, I'm here. Uh, we learned how to love people that aren't like us. You know, it's so uh, a natural thing, I guess, to to want to kind of connect to people of affinity. They like to go hunting. I like to go hunting. So let's let's get together and be buddies. Uh, they play sports. We play sports. That kind of a thing, right? They grew up over on this side of town. I grew up. Whatever the case may be, it's a very natural thing to kind of group up in, in groups in that way. But the beautiful thing about the church is the church is everybody. Right? Rich and poor, black and white, Republican and Democrat, Hispanic and Asian. It doesn't matter. We're all different from different places with different histories, different preferences, and yet we are called the church. And it's beautiful when we embrace that diversity, when we embrace the giftedness of one another. He taught us how to love people that weren't like us. It also taught us how to serve. We didn't have kids didn't really want to be around kids. Right? 25 hours and amen over there. Wow. <laughs> we didn't really want to be around I mean, we don't have kids. So when we would go to small group, if you guys have kids, y'all deal with that. Right? But that's not what the group said. They said, hey, in our group, we believe that everybody can speak into the lives of our kids. And so every week, some, one of the adults is going to take turns and go be with the kids and help with the kids. And Lori and I were like, ugh. Right? And then we go in and start helping with the kids, and guess what God does? He draws our hearts to those kids. We start speaking life into those kids. We start trying to model Jesus for those kids and help them with Scripture and help them understand what it means to follow Christ and support their parents in doing the same thing. And all of a sudden, we're looking like the church. And God is blessing us because of kids. 
that we didn't want to serve. We learn to be dependable. You know, when you go to your city group, that ought to be a place of dependability. Where you depend on those people and they depend upon you. In fact, I would even say this. If you're in your city group and you don't sense that you're dependable, something's not right. You don't sense that the people you go there to can be dependent upon, something's not right. It taught us to be dependable. In other words, we need to go because we're praying for so-and-so and they need to know that we support them. We need to go because we need prayer for so-and-so and we know that they're going to be there to support us. It taught us to be a dependable people. It taught us how to pray for people. It taught us how to speak truth in love to people. That's not an easy one to learn. It taught us that our stories matter. You know, we're going through what's next right now. We've only got a couple of weeks left. We love hearing the stories of people. Your stories matter because it's healing when you speak them. And it blesses people who hear them. Because when they hear them, you have no idea what they've been through. And somebody hears a story, they may go, she went through the same thing I went through. He experienced the same thing I did. And all of a sudden, there's this depth of connection that happens. Our stories matter. We learn that we can challenge others to go deeper in our faith, and we can be challenged to be deeper in our own faith. That's what the body does together, iron sharpening iron. And can I just say this? We also learned... It's never, ever convenient. <laughs> Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Coming to church, whether it be Sunday morning or your city group, is never convenient. It's so important that the enemy will do everything he can to help you try and be discouraged to go. I mean, everything that comes up here, how busy you are this week, what you need to do tomorrow, all the things that are the things that will keep you from community and connectedness, they'll come up and you'll go, well... I guess we better, I, I don't know, it's going to be, it will never be convenient to go. But it will always be a blessing when you do. Always. I can't tell you how many times, I mean hundreds in all these years, 25 years now that we've been living this life among people this way. It's always difficult. Oh, we got to clean the house, we got to get ready, we got to, but every single time we leave group, we go, can you imagine if we hadn't come tonight? We got to see so-and-so happen. We got to see this breakthrough. I had a breakthrough. We got to see God answer prayer. It's so important, but it's never convenient or easy. Last week we talked about the fact that so many of these values we see in this church in Acts 2 are connected to time. They're connected to priorities, the priority of time. What do we do with our time? I started asking myself, how much time, if, if you added up all the time, like if you were to do everything in the church this week, how much time would you actually spend? Well, we, our service is going to last about an hour and a half. Your city group is going to last about an hour and a half. Uh, if you come and serve tomorrow at Pantry, you might stay about an hour and a half, two hours. In a week, you might put in four and a half hours. I wonder how many of us would be guilty of spending four and a half hours a day on social media. Right? Seriously. We, we think that it's, it's so much, I just can't give this time. I, I can't go this time. We've got a busy week, we probably can't go to church Sunday. Right? There should be nothing that keeps you from the Lord's house. And listen, I don't want to be legalistic about this. There are things that happen there are times where we're sick and we can't make it. And I get that. But it should be the exception and not the rule. It shouldn't be the first thing that drops out of your calendar. It should be the thing at the top. We get to go to church. We get to be with God's people. It's a priority to me. You know the one question that shouldn't be asked in your home? Are we going to church? My kids don't ask that question. You go, well, you're the pastor. Come on. But let me tell you something, there was a time when the church wounded me so deeply, so deeply that if there was ever a Sunday in my Christian experience that I would have said, I'm not going to church, I can, I'm going to take this one off, it was the Sunday after the church had wounded me 10 years ago. But on that Sunday morning, we woke up and as the leader of our home, I said, 
get ready for church. Lori, I think, even said, honey, do you, no, you get ready for church. We're going to go be with God's people. We're going to go be in the church because the church didn't wound me, right? Men with, with brokenness, men making mistakes wounded me, but the church never wounded me. God never wounded me. He's been so faithful to me. Why would I not be faithful to him? Let me ask you something. Who are the people that you, you give your life to, your tribe? Who's your tribe? Who are the people that, I mean, outside of, of your family, the people that you really just walk life with? Because let me tell you something. Either they're leading you to Jesus or they're leading you away from him. It's true. I, I know I have friends right now that are in the penitentiary. Some spending 20 to 25 years, one spending life. He'll never be outside of the prison again. Why? Horrible mistakes that were caused because he was in the wrong tribe, connected to the wrong people. You say, well, that sounds a little hyperbolic. That's a little crazy. Okay, well, ladies, sometimes you have group girl nights or sometimes you have girl weekends. Are those women leading you to Jesus? Are they supporting you because of the word of God and the truth there are going, girl, you deserve to leave. Go buy it, honey, Right? We need people who love us so much they lead us to Jesus all the time. That's who we need to surround our lives with. And some of you may need to find some new friends. See, our tendency is to hide from God ever since Genesis, ever since the garden. That's what we've done. We sin, we make mistakes, and then we want to run and hide. We want to be filled with shame. We, we, want, we want to run. We don't want people to truly know us, to, to be known. We don't want to be found out. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be challenged. Is that right? It's human nature. It's sin nature. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of our choices, of our secrets, of our addictions. But God's design in the church is that we share life. His design as believers is that we live confessional lives with one another, that we bear one another's burdens, that we pray for one another, that we speak truth to one another with a hope that each of us is going to continue to follow Jesus. That's why we do these things. Following Christ ought to be the number one priority in your life. And it can't be apart from living life connected. It can't be. In fact, I would say, if you don't have a church home and you've been without a church home for a long, long time, you're outside the will of God. It's not possible to live inside the will of God and be apart from the body of Christ. The very New Testament was written to an individual. It was written to a family. The family is so important. It's so important. I want to read some scriptures to us again because I don't want you to hear my opinion this morning. That's not worth anything. But let me tell you what is worth everything. That is the word of God. And what he speaks to us about truly connected community. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, though many, are, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Members of a church? Members of a building? No, members of what? One another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with chilfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love, uh, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. How do you serve one another and not be a part of the church? You can't. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Paul even speaks about this kind of love for one another in a selfless sort of way. Philippians 2 2 says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, be in unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul also speaks to the Thessalonian community, and he, he says, sometimes you got to say hard things to people. Sometimes you got to go there because you love and so speak truth in love. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, and we urge you, brothers, look at this first one, admonish the idle. What's he saying? Is there somebody lazy in the community? They're not caring for their family? They're not, doing, they're not working hard? They're not doing their best? Then discipline them. Come alongside them and help them see why they need to do that. Admonish the lazy, the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. All three different instances, different scenarios. And then yet he says, be patient with them all. I love that. It's just like us. This morning, every one of us probably fits in one of these categories. Every one of us has our own issues, our own mistakes, the things we're falling short with. And we need to be patient with one another, but we need to help each other be who God wants us to be. They were daily connected. They walked life together. Do you have people in your life that you go, I got to try them? I've got those people in my life. They can depend on me, and I can depend on them. Here's the second thing faithfulness. Day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. These were faithful people. Now, some things I want us to consider about what this verse is saying uh, as we look through and break this down. First of all, realize these are Jewish Christians, okay? They've been Jewish all their lives, and now they know Christ, and they're still Jewish, but they're Jewish Christians. So they would have had very much connection to the temple. They would have known very religiously about daily prayers at the temple. They would have known about religious uh, things that to take, were to take place in the temple. And so they're in the temple. It's not odd for them to be in the temple. I don't believe they were taking uh, place or taking part in uh, the sacrifices because I think they truly, to know Christ, would truly know that he is the final sacrifice. He's paid the debt for our sins. I don't think they would have had to, to do that. But there was a connectedness still to their roots of their Jewish faith. Secondly, you need to know that when 3,000 people came to know Christ, the church went from 120 to 3120. It became a megachurch overnight. 120 to 3120 overnight. There's not a place they could fit. There's not a home they could fit. So they met at the temple. It wouldn't have been odd for different groups to be at the temple mount. When you stand on the temple mount, it's kind of, when you think of the temple, you think of a building. But when you stand on the Temple Mount, you see an unbelievable amount of area. In fact, it's 35 acres. You can set 10 football fields next to each other in Solomon's Colonnade. It was a huge area, and there would be different groups of people that had different meetings. Very normal. Sadducees, 1,000 people over here. Pharisees, 500 people over here. The Christians became almost, at least for a season, another sect of Judaism. They didn't really question the fact that they were meeting at the temple for at least a season. Here's the other thing we know about them going to the temple. It was missional. Chapter 3, the chapter right after the one where we're finishing up here, it says Peter and John go to the temple to do what? To preach. 
We want to preach the word that Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And so the very next chapter tells the story of them going to the temple to preach and to be missional. So there's an aspect of God's people being missional on the temple mount, on the temple grounds. It would have been a large group, 3,000 people. And right after the Acts 3 passage, 5,000 more people come to know Christ. Now the church is not just this interesting thing that happened. It's a movement. You know, our text says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles wouldn't have been able to teach in every home of 8,000 people. But they could teach at the Temple Mount. So this, this makes sense that the apostles' teaching aspect happened here at the Temple. The apostles could teach a large group of people. But the cool thing is that's not the only gathering we see. We see two gatherings, a large gathering and a small gathering in homes. They broke bread in their homes every day. One large gathering, one small gathering, one formal gathering, one casual. One where the apostles taught and where people could look around and sense that God was doing something. There was a movement taking place. Can you imagine being one of the 120 and you go overnight from 120 to 3120, what's going on? This is awesome. God is doing something. 8120, oh my gosh, guys, can you... What does God do? You would feel the presence of God. It's one of the reasons we do this. Because you need to experience the fact that there's something bigger than you going on. That God is at work. That he's moving. That he's growing his church. That he's growing his people. And he's helping us to feel like we're together. We're on mission. And it's bigger than any of us. And yet we also have this beautiful aspect of being able to connect in each other's homes. They were a faithful people. Daily they met in the large group and they met in small groups. Daily. I heard an old pastor say this week, he said, you know, half the role of a church member is just to show up. <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed and I went, wait, that's absolutely the case. Half the role of, of a church member is just to show up. It's easy in our culture to focus on. I can do Sunday, but I can't do small group. I can do small group, but I can't do Sunday. Listen, what we see in this group of people is unbelievable faithfulness to both. They needed both, and so do you. Discipleship on a Sunday morning, just hearing a Sunday morning message, is not enough for you to become a disciple of Jesus. You need to be connected to people. I'm not saying go do it every day. I'm not suggesting come here every day. I'm not suggesting having meals in your home every day, right? This is a different culture. It's a different time. But I am saying we need to be a connected people. This is the way the writer of, of uh, Hebrews says it. Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. To the confession of our hope. What's the confession? What's our confession? The gospel is our confession. We believe Jesus died for us. He loves us. That's our confession, our hope. And we shouldn't waver because he who promised is what? Faithful. If he's faithful, we should be faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we, how do we stir each other up? How do we encourage one another? Well, we gotta know one another. We gotta walk life together. We gotta know kind of where we are in life and we gotta share that honestly and authentically. So when I say I'm struggling this week, one of my brothers in this audience can go, hey, I'm praying for you and I'm so grateful for you and thank God that he's enough for us, right? And I go, I needed to hear that. We all need that in our lives. We encourage one another all the more. Even back then, people were going, yeah, I don't need to go. <laughs> I'm okay without it. And yet this writer tells us, no, no, no. All the more, don't neglect being together. We're faithful when we are committed to the large group, we're committed to the small group, and we just truly walk life with one another. As I close, listen, one last thing I want to tell you. God has called us to this daily awareness of connectedness with one another. 
to faithfulness to his church. And listen, the cool thing is when we do those things, when we truly live that way, God will give us grateful hearts. I told you Sunday we went to the uh, kids, and uh, that's a pretty good lunch, you know what I'm saying? It said in our text that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We did as well on Sunday. But let me tell you something, it had nothing to do with food. In fact, Miss Sue said, you know, she said, let's pray, and she's, we were all getting around the table. They have a large table, and I was about to go to my seat, and I just stopped. And I said, is it okay if I just pray with you and I hold you? And they said, sure. So I had Brother Jerry here and I had Miss Sue here. And I pulled them near me and I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for them because I'm grateful for them. I'm so grateful for their lives. I'm so grateful for the relationship that we have. I'm so grateful for all that they've given to our church, to my family. I love them. They mean the world to me. So as I held them, we prayed a prayer of gratefulness and thanksgiving and our hearts were glad. But here's the thing, nothing in this world makes you glad. Nothing in this world satisfies you like knowing Jesus, following Jesus, and being connected to his people. Look at the way the psalmist puts it. Psalm 30, verse 11, you have, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Psalm 4, 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. It's not about having a whole lot of things. My heart is full because of what God has done and because of the relationships he's given us. Even Paul says in, in Romans 14, 17, it doesn't have to do with food. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It was those things that my heart was full of. It's those things that we see these believers were full of joy. They were full of joy. They were full of gladness because they had been saved they're being discipled. They're seeing miracles in the presence of God. There's unity in the church. There's generosity in the church. There's joy in real relationships that change your life. Those things give you glad and generous hearts. And when you truly sense God's done something in you, guess what you want to do? You want to give it back. When you're so full of the Lord, so full of joy, you want to just give it back. You want to overflow by giving it back. And I just encourage you this morning, listen, have people in your home. Spend time with one another. Get connected to one another. I'm reminded of this story of Jesus when he goes to call Matthew as one of his disciples in Matthew 9. He calls Matthew as one of his disciples and says, follow me, and Matthew comes. And then Matthew invites him to dinner in his home. And this was a pretty interesting dinner. Look what it says here in Matthew 9, verse 10. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. <laughs> and then the Pharisees, they saw this and they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, on hearing this, says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. See, something happens when we have people in our homes. When we break down that wall of intimacy, of where we live, of our stuff, we're truly saying, I'm inviting you into the deepest part of my life. That's what we're saying. I'm inviting you to know me as deeply as you can know me. And Jesus even saying that, that he comes for the, the sick, not the well, is saying, listen, even by just eating together, getting to know people, loving one another is a, is a process of healing. It's a healing process. What if our homes become a place where we feed sinners and broken people like us? We can give them hope that Jesus can give change and life to their lives, that we could be literally light in the darkness in our home. I pray that that's who we can become. I just encourage you in this. We say this all the time. The church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not a service. It's not a concert. It's not an extracurricular dinner club. It is a family. Interconnected. It is a group of imperfect people who acknowledge their brokenness and need for Jesus. It is a group of people who are devoted and committed to the Lord and one another. 
It is a group of people who long to be all that God wants them to be, a group of people who serve and care for one another above themselves, who are unified in their faith and their hope in Jesus, who live their lives with imperfect obedience, because nobody's perfect, yet we continually strive to know him and surrender to him. If in your life you're holding on to some sort of habitual, obvious, visible sin, but you go, I want, I want to be a part of the church, it makes no sense. Because you're saying, my way is better than God's. I know better than God. I can live however I want and still get the benefit of community. No, you can't. It doesn't mean that we're all perfect. We are all sinners, broken, falling short of the grace of God. But hopefully the difference in, in us is that we're seeking to know him in our brokenness. Seeking to not have sin present, active in our lives, that it's God's changing us by his grace. You know, to be a partner here at South City, we take it pretty seriously that you're a part of a city group. Now, you have to be part of a city group to be a part of our church because we believe the things we're saying right now. It's so important to be connected to people, to be faithful to people we have like a three-legged stool when it comes to what our city groups are. And I'm going to tell you real quick, it's, it's community, care, and Christ-likeness. That's, those are the three things we want to see accomplished in our city groups. Where in community, real relationships uh, are with Christ followers, sharing life together, knowing each other, being known. Where we're caring for one another because there's times in our lives when we really need each other. Through, through serving, through meals maybe, through praying, through encouraging and then in Christ's likeness, we're not just there to watch the game. We truly want to advance each other's heart towards Jesus. Right? So we, we help each other become more like Christ through prayer, through challenging one another, through accountability, through speaking the truth in love and discipling one another with our time. You know, one of the devastating effects that we've seen in the, well, since COVID hit is this isolation. So many people are just dying and struggling in isolation. Did you know that the power of the church is the exact opposite of isolation? It's the exact opposite. Not that people are isolated, but instead that the power of the church is about uh, being known, being connected, being loved. So as I close, what, what is it determines the growth of the church? The good, good speaker? Good music, good elders, good location, good marketing. No, it's you. It's you. I, I could hold up a mirror today and go, here's what is, what is going to make the church succeed or not. It's you. Say, well, where do you get that, brother? Look with me, if you would, in Ephesians 4, 11. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you. The leaders are given as gifts to the church to equip you for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Well, how long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's all. Right? We keep growing each other so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. A lot of brothers and sisters being tossed right now. Connectedness helps us to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, watch this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's on us. We're responsible. We have to be a connected people with one another, truly living life, truly taking the time, truly allowing people into the deepest parts of our lives so that we can be known and know, so that we can love people, we can speak truth in love, so that we can support people at the core of where they are. Not this facade of I'm a Christian and I can just show up occasionally no, that is not the church. That's something else. 
We need to be a connected people. We need to be a faithful people because he's been so faithful to us. And when we see those values in our lives, without a question, I'm telling you, God will give you glad and generous hearts. You will be so grateful. You will be so thankful because of the goodness in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Live this way. See if I'm wrong. Those of you who've lived this way, that lived and have lived in community, have, have been a blessing to others and others have been a blessing to you in a consistent way of life in the church, you know what I'm talking about. And for those of you that feel lost, like you've never felt connected, come be a part of a family who will love you and help you and encourage you and be on mission with you. And we'll realize that God is doing something bigger than us. Amen? That's our prayer this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this beautiful text of Scripture, God, this, this little paragraph that shows us the description of such a beautiful place, such a beautiful community of people. God, we want to be like them. We want to see these values in our own lives, Lord. And today we focus on what it means to truly be in relationship with others that want to know you, others who want to serve you. God, that's the church, and we need each other desperately. So God, would you help us to not see the church in our Western American eyes and go, a church to me is just occasionally showing up. Oh, I'll give a little bit here. I'll do a little this or that. No, the church of Jesus in the word of God you've shown us, Lord, is to be a connected people, serving, loving, praying, weeping, celebrating, challenging, confessing, walking life together. That's the church. And God, with all that I am, that's the church we want to see here. Please, Lord, help us in these values. Help us to understand what it means to become that church, that it's not just on a staff of people. It's not just on a good sound system. It's on every one of us as believers individually to build up the body of Christ. It's on every one of us as the saints of God to become who you want us to be. Lord, take us from death to life and let us preach a message in this community and around this city that, that speaks of your goodness, that proclaims that you love this world, that you love to change sinners and bring hope where there is none. And God, would you use us to do it together as family? And we will be grateful for all that you do and all that you've done and all you're going to do. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?